Good afternoon, Jets Nation. Eric Allen here at the 2017 NFL Combine. We're at the Indianapolis Convention Center. I'm joined now alongside by Dane Brugler, who is getting ready for the draft. You can follow him at DP Brugler on Twitter. He's a must-follow this time of year all the way up to the draft. Guy's written more than 400 reports, and there are only 330 prospects here. Uh, Dane, this is your time of year, isn't it? Uh, this is the best time of the year. You know, I do this 365 days out of the year, so now it's fun when everyone else is, you know, coming around to my wheelhouse to talk about these prospects. Uh, like you mentioned, 330 guys here, only 250 or so will be drafted, and plenty of the guys that will be drafted won't be here, so non-combine invites. So a lot on the line this week for the players here. I was talking to a former Jet and a former Dallas Cowboy and former Kansas City Chief fullback, Tony Richardson, mm-hmm. today. And he came out of Auburn at about 240 pounds, ran a 4-4 at that time, and was undrafted. Yeah. So in addition to everybody who's going to be drafted, there are going to be guys here or not here who are actually going to play on NFL rosters next year. Absolutely. There's an average of about 35 to 37, 38 guys who will be drafted who are non-combine invites. So about 15% of the field who are actually drafted. Uh, And then here there's 330 players. Over 100 players who are here this week will not get drafted. So just because you have a combine invite does not mean you're going to get drafted. And just because you didn't receive one and you're not here this week, while, yes, it's a missed opportunity, if you impress enough during the all-star circuit and during the pro days and the workouts, you still have a great chance to get drafted. Uh, speaking on drafted, guys, uh, what kind of grade did they have on uh, Temple speedster Robbie Anderson last year, the rookie at 42 receptions for the he, Jets uh, good in 2016? For him. He impressed during the Shrine game. Uh, that was his chance to shine, and he did. A player who had some issues in his background, you know, was he a corner? Was he a receiver? You know, where did he fit best? But I tell you, what he did the Shrine game, I think, really helped him get drafted. Now, today really starting to kick it up a notch mm-hmm. um heights weights uh measurements and uh one thing you tweeted about today uh was uh, about a quarterback's height uh people have been talking about mitch trubisky a right. guy who started in north carolina only 13 games in his career That's right. but uh he's obviously received uh, um a lot of notice of late uh, a lot of people are saying that this guy could be a top 10 pick. We'll have to see where he falls. You said uh, he measured in at 6'2". For people at home, we'll say, what's the difference between 6'1 and a half and 6'2"? Can you tell us? Well, you know, for certain positions with certain teams, they're just they're thresholds. You know, you want to see a player come in at at least 6'2". Hand size. You want to – some teams look at, okay, at least 9 inches, some a little more want at least 9.5 inches. So it depends on the team, depends on the evaluator. And if you're going to possibly invest a top 10 pick, a first-round pick in a Mitch Trubisky – you want him to at least hit that 6'2 threshold, which he did. Came in at 6021, yep. which is 6'2 and one eighth of an inch. Um, so a good day for him. Also a good day for Deshaun Watson. Came in at 6'2 and a half, but the height wasn't the issue. It was the weight. And he came in at 221 pounds, which was a great weight for him. Good build. You know, we saw him against Alabama, what he did this past year. Couldn't he hold up physically for a 16 game schedule playing like he did against Alabama, taking all those hits? That's the question. But scouts were worried he'd come in about 210 pounds. That wasn't the case. A thicker build, 221 pounds. So a good day for these quarterbacks so far. Uh, So for all those draft experts at home, you got to get this guy's book, uh, 
at DP Brugler. You can find him on Twitter. He's going to be wrapping that up in the next couple of weeks. He said you're working day and night on that. Yeah. The end of March is going to come out. It's going to get you ready for the draft. But we're talking about quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Trubisky and Deshaun Watson. Oh. Where uh, do you have these guys at the top of the draft at this point right now? What what are you seeing, and how many eventually do you think are going to fall in that first round? (laughs) That's the big question. I think this reminds me a lot of 2014 class where we had Blake Bortles. We had Johnny Manziel. uh, We had David Carr, uh, or excuse me, Derek Carr, and then we had – Teddy Bridgewater, yep. you know, but we weren't sure what order they come off the board. We weren't sure how many would go top 10, how many go first round. And, you know, it turns out the fourth of that group who didn't go in the first round car has been the best so far. So, you know, I think it, and it'll be similar this year where we don't know the order right now. I don't think we're going to know a day before the draft, oh, which really? will make it more interesting. We're not going to have a consensus quarterback this year. Some teams will prefer Mitch Trubisky. I think some will prefer the upside of a Deshaun Kaiser from Notre Dame. Some will prefer the intangibles, the the winning attitude that Deshaun Watson yeah. brings, and then you have Pat Mahomes, who is just a complete. I feel wild card. like he's a hot name right now. He is. Well, and he's tough because physically he has everything you want: size. He's an athlete. He can, uh, you know, throw the ball. He can make all the NFL throws. But coming from that air raid offense, uh, how where is he mentally in his development? How long before he's ready to get on the field? That plays a big part in where he gets drafted. So. A lot of questions with this quarterback group, and I don't think we're going to figure out the order today just because there's so much uh, differing opinions on these guys from team to team, evaluator to evaluator. Uh, I think at least one or two will go in the top 10, top 15, and then we'll have to see how it, how it plays out after that. How about a, a quick uh, breakdown of uh, these guys? Okay. Who, at the top, let's, let's start with Trubisky, uh, 13 uh, game starter, right. uh, was a backup, um, and – I just give a little rundown. What I know is that uh, very accurate quarterback at mm-hmm. North Carolina, but again, he's going to be making a big system jump. What's your take? Yeah, no, that's a good background for him, uh, and that's really the biggest issue is the sample size. You know, thirteen game starter, ideally for drafting a quarterback that high, you want more of a sample size than just a one year. But you watch him on film, and all thirteen games, you see him. He has the size, he has the athleticism, really mobile quarterback. The arm strength, the arm talent, uh, very accurate, like you said. Uh, the ball placement is what you want. I think th- the biggest thing with him is he's not elite in any one of those areas. He doesn't have that distinguishing trait, but he's pretty good across the board. And so not having that fatal flaw is kind of his calling card. And that, that's you can win with guys like that. You know, you don't have to have a guy who's elite in one area. You know, he just can't make those mistakes. And I think that's what something you have with Mitch Trubisky. Now, if you want more of an upside guy, then I think Kaiser is who's really going to appeal to these teams because – I think when you project him two to three years from now, you get excited about where he can be. The physical traits are there. The mental capacity is there. But he's been inconsistent this year. And how do you weigh, okay, last year as a freshman, when he had a top 10 left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, uh, he had C.J. Process at running back, Will Fuller Fuller, at receiver, first-round wide receiver. He lost four of his five top receivers from that year. So this year goes into the year, 
And it was just downhill from the start. You know, Texas game played well, Michigan State played well, and then just downhill. And that really was indicative of Notre Dame's season as a whole. But how do you weigh that, um, you know, with just the supporting cast? Uh, the coaching was an issue. Did, you know, Brian Kelly really want Deshaun Kaiser out there? So there's a lot of questions with Kaiser, but there's a lot to like as well. So uh, what about the system? Does that help him uh, comparably to the other two guys mm-hmm. that – are mentioned in that mix early on, uh, Watson and Trubisky. To an extent, uh, mostly shotgun, uh, but a lot of downfield routes. Uh, you see him make left to right progressions, whole field reads, and that's something you want uh, to see. You know, and that's something that Pat Mahomes. That's a stigma he has to overcome. Coming from that air raid offense, where you just look at the mechanics and they're all over the place. He has a better back pedal than some corners in this draft, which is well, not, not a good thing. You know, <laughs> you don't want to see that. You want to see him uh, be more tight with his uh, mechanics and his fundamentals. Um, you know, can he learn that? Can he get better? Sure. But you just haven't seen it in a game setting. And, you know, we talk about changing up a, a guy's routine and it's muscle memory. So with Mahomes, you might have to kind of live and die with, uh, you know, who he is. And right. he, he reminds me a lot of Johnny Manziel. He, he's bigger, he has a better arm, and there's no off-field questions. But in terms of on the field, you have a guy who likes to improvise, who will throw a prayer up sometimes and hope that uh, his guy can come down with it. But I tell you, he, he's a fun tape to watch, and you get kind of, you know, okay, maybe I can believe in this guy. I'd like yeah, to maybe, see him. Maybe a team grabs him in the first round. We've seen, we've seen sure. stranger things. Um cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. The Jets released uh, Darrell Revis. They took Justin Burris last year, a mm-hmm. fourth-round pick out of NC State. I thought he did some nice things at the end of the, his first season of action, but this is supposed to be another defensive draft at the mm-hmm. top. Um, what do you make of the elite corners? And I guess it all starts with Marshawn Lattimore out of Ohio State. And this will be a big week for him um, for the medicals. Uh, you know, he didn't play his first two years at Ohio State because of, you know, what they call chronic hamstring issues. And so what's going on with that? Any long-term worries, concerns? Um, so the medicals will be first and foremost for him. And then once he's on the field, I expect him to perform really well. When you watch him on tape, you just don't see separation. Uh, he has that quick twitch that you want, the speed. Uh, he can play press. He can play off. Uh, with Lattimore, like I said, you just you never saw receivers able to separate. And then when they did, he has that uh, that recovery speed where he can make that up, that closing burst, and make a play on the ball. So I think Lattimore uh, is clearly the top corner this year, and I think everyone in the top ten will be considering him. Now uh, Dane Brugler joins us from India. 2017 NFL Combine underway. We're going to be joined by Jets legend Kevin Mowai in a few moments. Uh, uh, Dane, we're talking corners. Who's maybe not at Lattimore's level, but maybe a step or two uh, below there, and you believe, in your mind, is first-round talent? I think there's a few. Marlon Humphrey from Alabama, uh, really interesting because he has, you know, physically has everything you want. Uh, the length, uh, the size, the speed. Uh, he's the son of uh, Bobby Humphrey, uh, first-round running back uh, back in the day for another Alabama guy. Uh, so, you know, with Humphrey, you worry about downfield, getting his head turned around, finding the football. But a lot of coaches will think they can coach that in, in him. But he has what you can't teach. That's the physical traits. And I think Marlon Humphrey is going to come off the board early. Sidney Jones I like quite a bit, the corner from Washington. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to see what he weighs in at. On tape, he's rail thin. And so height's not an issue. But is he 180 pounds or is he closer to 200 pounds? Can Hopefully, he play, Can he play outside? Can he play he that can corner? Play outside. And one thing I like about him is he can play different schemes. You want him to press. You want him to play a little zone, play off. He can, he can do different things. Uh, he's a former uh, receiver in high school, and you see 
see that the, those ball skills when the ball's in the air, he goes and gets it. So I think Sidney Jones is right there in that mix. And then one of the top seniors this year, he's not going to come in well in terms of the measurements, Jordan Lewis from Michigan. Yeah. But I tell you, this guy can play. Uh, it, it, a guy that doesn't. You, you saw him down in uh, Mobile. Yeah, uh, the senior boy. He had a good bit. week. It, you have to get over the size, and maybe he's only a nickel for you. I don't know if he can play on the outside, but if he's only a nickel, you can work with that. Um, but he's fast. He knows how to cover. He's tough. Outstanding ball skills. You just have to get over the lack of size. Well, typically, and you know this so well, in the draft, there's usually a couple linemen, offensive linemen, mm-hmm. that you're going to see go early in that top five range, top ten range. Right now it doesn't seem that way, does it? It's it's not a great year for offensive linemen, and I should say offensive tackle and on center guard. I think there's some there's some decent depth there, um, starting with Forrest Lamp out of Western Kentucky, who I think is a first round pick. But then at tackle, a lot of question marks. And if you don't get your guy early, you're going to be out of luck later on. So Ryan Ramchek, the tackle from Wisconsin, I think he's a top guy. We'll have to see how his his hip, what's going on there. That has to clear. And then uh, you have a few guys with question marks. Cam Robinson from Alabama, Garrett Bowles from Utah. Bowles, he's going to be a 25-year-old rookie, and he needs some work. He's a fantastic athlete. But in terms of strength and his power, uh, his technique, he needs some work there. Just a fascinating backstory with him it was off from uh, took off a few years from football. So for the mission, right? Right. Well, even after high school, he got into some trouble. Okay. Kind of went away from football, and then he went to on that mission. That kind of uh, invigorated his his love for football again. And so a lot of uh, a lot of things going on with Bowles. I think that athleticism still gets him in the first round. And the fact that, like I said, if you don't get that tackle early, you're going to be out of luck. So these guys, these tackles, are going to be pushed up a little bit. Uh, speaking of Bowles, we're going to be talking about uh, Todd Bowles, who addressed the media here in Indianapolis earlier today with SNY's Ralph Facciano here uh, momentarily. Dane, what about the running backs? Uh, yeah. Leonard Fournette is up there, and we saw him, an elite player at uh, Louisiana State, and then Delvin Cook. Um, most people, when you look at mock drafts, mm-hmm. I know it's not all about mock drafts at this point, but they have Leonard a little bit ahead of Delvin Cook. Who in your mind in five years is going to be the better player? Delvin Cook is, to me, the top running back in this class. Yeah. Uh, and I like Fournette. He's a freak. Uh, you know, we, there's not a running back in today's NFL that you can really, truly compare him to. Uh, we just don't have anyone like that. But Delvin Cook, I think everything's there uh, in terms of his physically, his explosion, his ability to string together moves, make guys miss. And then mentally, his vision, his run tempo, his patience. He's yeah. a game changer. He's a guy he really can, he can take the ball to the house anytime he has it, right? Absolutely. He's that type of back. Biggest thing with him is... Since I believe his junior year in high school, he's had three shoulder surgeries. Uh, came in at 210 pounds. He's not the biggest guy. I'll tell you what, if you told me that over the next five to seven years, he's going to average 14 starts a year, I'd say he's the best running back to come out the last few years. Uh, but I just worry that that's not going to be the case with him. Uh, so hopefully he's able to hold up physically. But I think that might be the, the worry with teams and why he might not be the first running back drafted and why he might not go top 15 like his talent says he should. Do you think at the end of the day somebody uh, takes a stab at him maybe uh, in the top 10? I think it I think it depends on what we hear from the medicals. Yeah. I, I think that's what's going on with the shoulders, uh, what's going on, uh, you know, with some of the medical information. That will be the key. If it comes, you know, if he gets two thumbs up from the trainer and from the medical staffs, then absolutely. He's one of the top 10 players in this draft just based on talent. And so I think he, we're going to see him somewhere top 15 if the medicals come back okay. Well, McCaffrey, uh, ultra productive at, at Stanford. Do you see him making his way in the first round? How does he project on the next level? 
He should. I, there's no reason not to keep him out of the first round. If you're not, if you don't know how to use Christian McCaffrey, then uh, you need to change the way you call plays. Uh, he's the, he's a first round talent. Is he a player that you want carrying the ball 25 times a game? No, but you want him touching the ball 25 times a game. He's capable of you know, 16, 18 carries, six, seven, eight targets a game. Uh, my comparison is Brian Westbrook. You know, use him in the backfield, but he can also go out in the slot, put him outside. This is a player who he'll he's a better route runner than some of the receivers that'll probably be drafted ahead of him. I mean, he he's that diverse with what he can do on offense as well as he's a returner. So with Christian McCaffrey, he, he's one of the smartest runners I've seen. He understands uh, you know, how to read his blocks, what the defender's trying to do, make guys miss, and he knows when the mission's over. So he gets down and he doesn't take a lot of hard hits. Uh, I think Christian McCaffrey's absolutely a first-round pick, and I'll be surprised if he doesn't go on day one. Uh, what do you think about uh, Mike McCagnon as a talent evaluator? He's a guy that you're very familiar with, the mm-hmm. Texas roots, and um, – over the first two drafts, I think he's done a very nice job. Obviously, we were just talking about it before we came on live here. He, he took uh, Leonard Williams, number six overall, with his first overall pick. Stuck to his guns, mm-hmm. the best player available philosophy. Guy lands in the Pro Bowl. Uh, Darren Lee, I know people said he didn't have a stellar season. I thought he started coming on mm-hmm. a lot towards the end. He's going to be that three-down linebacker that the Jets need, and I, I think he could be a fixture for this team for years to come as well. And then we think about last year's draft. Um, you go to the third round, Jordan Jenkins. Yep. He became a starter for you. Yep. S- stout edge setter. I mean, he might never be the 10-sack-a-year guy, but he can get to the quarterback, and he also can set that edge and be a solid player for you. But in the fourth round, Justin Burris, maybe mm-hmm. he's starting for you this year. In the fifth round, uh, I thought he did a nice job by getting moving back into the draft right. to get Brandon Shell. That's right. He gave up a fourth-round pick. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, you gave up a fourth-round pick in next year's draft, but he was figuring he'd get a compensatory selection this year, which he, in fact, has. So just overall, how do you think he's done his first two years um, as the GM of the Jets uh, as far as drafting is concerned? No, I think he's, he's done a good job. Uh, I've known Mike for a while since he was in Houston, uh, and what I've always appreciated with him is he's he's a scout at heart, so he knows how to evaluate. He's at all the All-Star games. Uh, you know, There's not an event too small. If there's a possible NFL-caliber player there, he's there. He's evaluating. Uh, he is a scout at heart, and so uh, I always enjoy when I have a chance to catch up with, with Mike, and I've I've uh, really appreciated his his grind for a long time, um, and so I think so far, you know, in two drafts, he's he's done a solid job. I think you know Jordan Jenkins really outplayed uh, his draft slot, and I think he'll continue to do that. Like you said, he might not be an elite player who, uh, you know, is an all pro, but I think he'll outplay his draft slot and be a solid contributor. Darren Lee, I think people need to remember, was a redshirt sophomore when he yeah. came out of Ohio State. This is a guy who could have used another year in school, uh, and I, I even said that on Twitter, and he called me Darren Lee called me out on Twitter for saying that. But you know, I, I think he will get better in year two and year three um so i give mike a lot of credit for what he's done uh eager to see what he does now with another top 10 pick you know back in the top 10 plenty of options uh you know could he possibly go quarterback could he you know maybe help that defensive secondary there will be several options he could go so eager to see what he does there well we're eager to see your book it's at dp brugler you guys uh, can Jump on there. Follow him on Twitter. You're going to get all your draft information. Dane, uh, so great catching up. Make sure you get some rest this week. All right? Thanks. 
Dane Brugler uh, joins us here in Indianapolis at the Convention Center. Uh, momentarily, we're going to be joined by Ralph Acciano, who was at Todd Bowles' news gathering today in Indianapolis. Uh, the Jets head coach um, addressed the media today uh, here in Indy. Uh, Ralph was there, and we're bringing him on set right now. NFL experience underway here in Indianapolis. Ralph, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. How are you? I'm great. Uh, your takeaways uh, from today's morning briefing, uh, an early start for everybody today. Yeah, it was a little early for me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was somewhat interesting in typical coach fashion. Todd Bowles did not reveal a lot of things, but he shed a little more light on the Darrell Revis release, uh, which he insisted was had nothing to do with his arrest. It had more to do with the financials, which with his play. Um, they did consider moving him to safety, but when you factor in the $15.3 million cap hit, it just wasn't worth keeping around just to find out whether he could play that position. Um, so that was one of the big topics. And he kind of hinted a little bit at some of the things that they're thinking of in the offseason. Uh, for example, the, the quarterbacks. He did say they're going to look at the veteran quarterback market, and that, honestly, whatever decisions or questions the Jets have heading into the offseason, they all pale in comparison to who is that quarterback, and it seems clear that they've got their eyes set on somebody and maybe a few guys on the open market. Before we get to the quarterbacks, Ralph, I don't want to paraphrase here. Sure. I'm actually going to take the, the quote from Todd Bowles today. This stood out to me. He said, as a coach, you get energized every year because you're always trying to win the Super Bowl. There's no rebuilding. Yeah. You're always trying to win. Whether you have younger or older players, you're always trying to win and get better. That's how I coach and how I'm going to be every day. Whether it's street ball or professional ball, I'm trying to win. So, you know, part of that is, well, what else is a coach supposed to say? But a lot of that is Todd Bowles. I mean, the reality is, from all appearances, the Jets are rebuilding. But Todd Bowles is not going into this season thinking, okay, in a couple of years I'll have a winner. He's still looking for the best players, and he's right when he says that those could be young players. A 22-year-old coming out of college could be better than a 28-year-old veteran at the end of his career. Um, and So he's looking for the best guys. He thinks he can put together a roster once he sees free agency. They'll have a lot of cap room to spend there. Once he sees the draft, they have high picks. Maybe they can put together a winner. He's not going to diminish the expectations not for the fans of the organization, but especially for the players. I don't think he wants to go into the locker room to any veteran players and say, relax, guys, we're rebuilding. Right. They're going to go for it. Whether that's realistic or not, we'll find out. But stranger things have happened. So what do you make of the quarterback market after we leave Indy, Ralph? You know you're going to be covering it every day. Free agency starting in just a few days because Indianapolis is late this year. It's already March 2nd. And before yeah. you know it, Free agency starts next week. Yeah. It's it's not a great quarterback market, and it never is. I mean, the reality is, if you are an elite quarterback, you're never going to hit free agency. You know, the Eli Mannings and Matt Ryans and Drew Brees, they get those contracts, and there's a reason why teams keep them. So you're looking at second-tier guys with some promise. Mike Glennon of the Buccaneers jumps off the page. Um, you're looking at a guy who has is a little bit of damaged goods in Jake Cutler, who uh, you know is one of the more accomplished guys out there. But all of them still, have, still under contract with the Bears, right? right now. Assuming he becomes a free yeah, agent, right. and the same with Colin Kaepernick, who I guess the 49ers are going to allow to become a free agent. There are guys with question marks. The problem is, while they may not be any of them may may not be ideal candidates, 
they will be expensive because teams get desperate when they don't have a quarterback. So the question becomes, if the Jets go after a guy like Mike Glennon, how crazy are they willing to go? Are they willing to go all in the way the Texans were with a flawed quarterback in Brock Osweiler? Well, well, well do you think it's going to be a, cra- a crazy market, perhaps, like you brought up Osweiler last yeah. year? Is, is is that the natural compare, that Glennon's hitting the market now, a, a guy who's got some starting experience, mm-hmm. um, but it's been backing up, uh, Jameis Winston. Um, do you think there will be a lot of people? Uh, after him, once once this thing starts next week, I, I do. I think I think Glennon is better than Osweiler for one. I don't know if everybody shares that opinion, but I think with quarterbacks, if you just get two teams involved, the bidding can get crazy. Because if you think about it from the Jets' perspective, they're going to have thirty, forty, fifty million dollars in cap room, whatever it comes out to after they finish all their cuts. If they have the money to spend, and their choice is get Mike Glennon or somebody else, and they don't like anybody else their intention it should be and a lot of teams will be to overspend to make sure you get that guy because there's no more important position if two teams are thinking i'll do anything to get him well that's when the prices get out of control now uh one thing that ty bowles did say today he was asked clearly by one of the reporters if um bryce betting christian hackenberg will have a chance to start and he mm-hmm. said yeah yeah they'll be part of the mix yeah absolutely I, I don't necessarily think that they will emerge as starters but Again, just like you don't want to tell the veterans we're rebuilding, you don't want to tell those guys, no, no, they're not, they're not our starters. You want them to fight for the job. And Bryce Petty showed some things last year. I don't know if he showed enough or not, but there was some promise there. We have, on the outside, no idea what Christian Hackenberg is, but he was a second-round pick. There's something about him that they like. So it's possible. You know, I do think if they go out and they get a Mike Glennon or somebody on the free agent market, that will be your starter. But if they can't, um, or if in training camp Christian Hackenberg lights it up, I right. think Todd Bowles is open to whoever the best guy is. That's who's going to lead the way. And whoever the best guy is, uh, the Jets have a new offense coordinator in John Morton and a new uh, quarterbacks coach in uh, Jeremy Bates. And uh, Todd discussed both of those today as well. He did, and he glowed about them. Not surprisingly, he hired them. Uh, he talked about you know, Jeremy Bates, the quarterback coach, had been out of football for four years, and Todd Bowles downplayed that. Cause, and he's right. There are reasons why people might leave a job for a certain amount of time. It doesn't mean he's not a good coach. He's got experience with quarterbacks. He did very well with Jay Cutler as, as one of his quarterback projects. Um, so he's confident that he can take whatever young quarterback the Jets have and mold him. And uh, he talked about John Morton. We've all sort of assumed that he's going to come in and run a West Coast offense, but Todd Bowles' message was it's not a West Coast offense. He's going to run a good offense, whatever that is. Yeah. Throwing the ball down, he's field, not putting any the ball. labels on it. Yep. Exactly, he's gonna and he he said t- John Morton's strength is to look at the personnel and figure out what's going to work the best. Uh, speaking of the personnel, the Jets have uh, been very busy this off season, and and we frankly anticipated it because you had to make some moves to get underneath the cap. And uh, the Jets released prominent veterans: Darrell Revis, Nick Mangold, um, uh, Breno Giacomini, mm. and of course uh, the second leading. Uh, score in this franchise's history, Nick Folk. So your take on the release of that quartet? Um, necessary but difficult decisions. Uh, you know, it's, it's football's a business. You're in a salary-capped sport. You can't afford to keep guys around as a luxury. Nick Mangold, maybe he can play. Certainly would be great in the locker room. The fans would love him. But for the price, his age, the injury, it's too much. It's become a young man, and the less expensive the better, a young man's sport. Um, so they sort of had to move on. They were uh, two years ago, ten and six. 
They were a veteran team. They tried to keep everybody together to make a run. It didn't work out last year. The only thing they could really do at that point then is start cutting some of these big salaries. I suspect there'll be a few more. And again, they all hurt, but it's the right move. It's you know you you have to be a young, fiscally responsible team to compete in this league. When you look at six, and I know it's early because we got a couple months and the teams are going through the medicals with 330 prospects right now, mm-hmm. and they're finding out more about the guys as they put them in the interview room. The Jets are one of 32 teams who will have 60 formal interviews with the prospects they choose. Um, so, And then we have pro days, as you know, yep. and then you'll invite some of your prospects to your complex. So... This thing, this uh, scouting is just basically, I don't want to say starting, but we got a long way to go until April, late April, the 2017 NFL draft. But as far as storylines are concerned, what jumps out to you right now about the combine? You know, it's interesting you phrased it that way because a year ago at this time, Everybody was saying there are no quarterbacks at the top of this draft. And before long, Jared Goff and Carson Wentz go 1-2. So everything does change. But I think the storylines, especially for the number six pick, the storylines that are emerging, the first one is, are there any quarterbacks that are going to be worthy of being in the top ten? Mitch Trubisky is kind of the odds-on favorite to be the guy. Um, Will he go number one, number five? Will the Jets consider him at number six? We're sort of watching how that develops. And if another quarterback, a Deshaun Kaiser, a Deshaun Watson, can uh, sort of emerge as a guy to join that elite group, we'll start to see this week a little bit. The other thing from the Jets' perspective that I think is interesting um, is there seems to be a glut of defensive backs near the top of the draft, corners and safeties which, as we saw last year, is something the Jets really need, especially now that they've gotten rid of Darrell Revis. Calvin Pryor, I think, is going into the last year of his contract. They have some free agents this year and upcoming next year. They could use to strengthen that secondary. They could get a, the top cornerback or top safety in the draft at number six, and you know exactly how that shakes out might depend on, well, how many quarterbacks sneak into that top five. The more that do, the more it pushes down a top player to the Jets. Yeah, we're joined by Ralph Acchiano here from SNY. We're in Indy. The 2017 NFL Combine is underway. Uh, Ralph, I know fans probably ask you the same question they asked me, is that are the Jets really going to go defense at the beginning of this draft? Well, it, they certainly could. Sure. Because everybody you talk to on the ground here is saying that this is loaded. The first round could be loaded with defensive prospects. And when you look at the Jets, you definitely want to take the best player available early in the draft. But if it marries a need, that certainly is going to break a tie, and that's what you're looking for. You're trying to look for an impact player. And an impact player at six, it could be on the defensive side of the ball. Right. You know, And everybody wants the best available player, but you don't want to get your third or fourth defensive end who's not going to play much. Now, they might. Again, Leonard Williams could fall to them like he did a few years ago. I can't see it this year. People are talking about Jonathan Allen from Alabama. I said I can't see it. Yeah, I don't see it either. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so you you do try to match a need if you can. You can't pass on the talent if it's there. But if you're matching up needs this early, defense sort of matches more for the Jets with the top players because the other need on the offensive side of the ball other than quarterback, obviously, would be offensive line. And at the moment, almost every scout I've talked to seems to think that there's not a top 10 offensive lineman in this draft. Which is something else because you've been covering this for a long time. I don't remember a draft that 
seems this thin at the top because we're always talking about tackles early. Right, and obviously that could change. I still think somebody will take a tackle in the top ten, but right now it would seem to be a stretch at six. So you don't want to reach with the sixth overall pick if you have a need at corner and safety or linebacker or there is a premier pass rushing defensive end. Yeah, you get that and you figure out the rest later on. Yeah, uh, the cornerback, Marshawn Lattimore from Ohio State. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people very high on him. A couple safeties at the top. Uh, Jamal Adams from LSU. I know he's getting a lot of love out there. So it's going to be fascinating to see how those dominoes fall. And then you get to the Jets if they decide to stay there. Mike McKagan has always said, listen, we call everybody in front of us. We call everybody behind us. There's a ways to go until that happens. What do you expect from the Jets uh, once free agency uh, commences, you talked about quarterback a little bit, but maybe yeah. uh, other positions that they might be looking to target because McKagan wants to go in this draft with as few as holes as possible, mm-hmm. obviously. I, I mean, quarterback obviously potentially could be the big expenditure for them. You know, you have no idea where that market's going to go. So I think that'll be the first thing they do. I could see them. I go back and forth on whether they'll dip heavily into the cornerback market looking for a Darrell Revis replacement, in part because the draft is so rich with them. They might want to postpone that. The place that I think they might be um, more willing to be active is along the offensive line. Um, You know, Todd Bowles was non-committal on a lot of things today, but he did not commit to Wesley Johnson at center or Brandon bringing Shell, right, yeah, right Brandon, tackle. Right. Now he praised them and yes. he said they can win the job, they can do it, but he kind of left the door open. And maybe it was coach speak, but he kind of left the door open for we're going to pursue our options. So um, the tackle market on free agency isn't thought to be good. Um, you know, Ryan Clady, just released by the Jets, is one of the better tackles sure. uh, on the open market. There'll, there'll be a few younger, healthier guys, but once those expensive ones are off the market, you're looking at um, older veterans who may be coming off injuries. So uh, I don't know that the Jets are necessarily going to want to go that route, uh, but they will have a lot of cap room to spend. So maybe some of the bigger names might be in play for them. Um, some of the rest of it might depend on what they do. If they release Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker a receiver is not a ridiculous thought they have good young ones but nobody really proven other than Quincy Anunwa who's still working his way up to number one status um, I guess a tight end if they he was asked about that as well today the tight end position yeah and that'll depend on what kind of offense John Morton wants to run but it does sound like they want to emphasize I don't know how you can emphasize tight end less than they've done in recent years but they want to do that more um, but yeah I mean I think they'll be fairly active but the quarterback's going to be the first thing on the plate. That's that's They have to settle that quickly, and then all the rest of the dominoes will fall in line. As we look at the landscape here on press row, I know people are just looking at the backdrop, but there's a lot of people gathered here. I, I see the Bills over there, and, and that's one team uh, has a huge decision to make at the quarterback position. They pick up Tyrod Taylor's mm-hmm. option, and it'll be there, obviously. But if they don't, he becomes a free agent right. out there. And he's a guy that the Jets would have to look at, a different type of quarterback, more mobility than a lot of guys on the market. Not, uh, Well, I guess I shouldn't say not as accomplished. He's not, in his time starting, he's been good but not great. But he matches up fine with most of the guys who are on the market uh, at the moment. So I would definitely think that he would be in play. I, I think he might be a little too expensive for the Bills to pick up. But as with all of these decisions, um, you know, if you – if they don't pick up the option on him, they have to answer the question, well, then what do we do? Right. Not a lot of people have a 
and Aaron Rodgers sitting on their bench so they can let Brett Favre go. You know, there's not a, there's usually not a second option on your roster, so you better have a good plan when you let one get out of your hands. Uh, Ralph Acchiano from SNY joining us right now. We're recapping uh, Todd Bowles' news conference today, talking Jets. We were joined earlier by Dane Brugler, a draft guru from CBS Sports. You can check him out at D.P. Brugler. He's got a his draft book coming out. He's done reports on more than 400 uh, prospects, only 330 here. Uh, Kevin Mawai, uh, NFL Hall of Fame finalist, is in the building in the convention center. He's going to join us momentarily. Speaking of Mawai, Ralph, what do you think about uh, Kevin now as he enters 2017, 2018, you think that he's got a good chance of eventually getting into Canton now that he's a finalist? I do. I think once you get into that finalist realm, you're not a lock, but pretty close to a lock. The Hall of Fame voting is such a complicated process, yeah. and there are so few. I mean, you think about the number, the 15 finalists that they have, all of them are Hall of Fame worthy, but only five of them can get in. Um, they have to sometimes, well, let's get this guy in first. He's been waiting for a few years. They, they sort of position themselves with the voters. So um, it wasn't his turn. I don't know that next year will be his turn, but I suspect that in the next few years he will get in. I think there, there's a lot of respect for him in How that about room. the run at center for the Jets after, uh, after Mawai? They draft Nick Mangold, 29th overall in 2006. Of course, uh, DeBrick Shaw Ferguson was – landed in that draft number four overall but uh this has been an amazing run at center for the jets it really has i don't know if there are other teams that have ever done that for that many years and just had two guys and not only that it's not just two starters those two guys basically played almost every game up until uh the middle of last year there weren't a lot of times where a substitute center was needed so uh two incredible players a lot of luck in getting them back to back. A lot of skill in identifying those players as well, and uh, you know both of them will be up in the Ring of Honor. Well, uh, Ralph, uh, thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed uh, our talk, and uh, you can follow Ralph on Twitter and also at SNY. We're enjoying your coverage. You're going to be here until one. Um, out of here on Saturday morning. So, so you'll gonna, be you'll be yeah. here for the quarterback. So yep. so Ralph will be talking quarterbacks on Friday. Thank Absolutely. You. Good seeing you. Thanks. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, so that's Ralph Acchiano from uh, Sportsnet New York. And, of course, before we were joined by Dane Brugler, uh, draft guru from uh, CBS Sports. And Kevin Mawai is uh, coming aboard right now. Uh, Kevin has made his way from Chicago. He's in Indianapolis. Uh, good to see you, buddy. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Am I on camera? Yeah. What's up, guys? Yeah. Out of Jets Nation, man. Is this yeah. live? Yeah. Jets Nation, gangrene. What's up, everybody? <laughs> How do you feel hey, about that? Doing great, man. This is awesome. Okay, so first off, congratulations as far as getting as far as you did. Uh, now looking back, the Hall of Fame pro- process, being a finalist, um, how would you explain it? How would you describe uh, the past couple months? Um, Interesting, uh, nerve-wracking at times, but... Um, grateful for the opportunity. Uh, very few people get to go through this process. It's a, it's being in the hall is a hollowed experience and I'm not there yet, but you know, Curtis Martin would know and there's other guys, but, um, what I really enjoyed is under going to understanding the process, going through it, but spending time with you and 
you know, you guys did a great job on the video leading up to that deal and it made me cry. And uh, But talking to the other reporters and finding, you know, you know what kind of player you were. And it really matters. It means a lot when you find out what other people thought about you and to hear what my opponents said about me and other coaches and the respect that I earned throughout my career. That was pretty neat. And then you find these obscure facts that of your career. Like I, out of 241 games I played in, I had 90 100-yard rushers, which was tops for any player in the history of the NFL. Never knew that. And That's never, the first time I'm hearing that. Yeah, so that was one of the, the stats that the they, you know, the guy. 90 out of 241? Yeah. That's wow. Like 90 100-yard rushers out of 241 games played, 238 started. Um, so nobody in the NFL has gotten close. It was like, I think, uh, you know, I don't know, the 17 games gap between mine and the next guy, next offensive lineman. So stuff like that, you're like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, and, uh, but it's been, it was neat going through the process. A little nerve-wracking the last two hours when you either get a knock or get a phone call. I got the phone call, unfortunately. But um, I couldn't be happier, man. I, I thank Paul Kaharski in, in Tennessee, John Clayton. I saw him yesterday. Um, I thank you the other day. Just, you know, and I've said it to Gary Myers and Bob Glover. Bob Glover apologized to me. And I'm like, dude, I'm, what are you apologizing for? I made, I'm one of the top ten. Yeah. I was one of the top ten, that made, and which puts me in the top 350 that's ever played this game. And if I, as long as I had that perspective on it, you know. But part of our mission here at the Jets is, I want to, be in. It, 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 <laughs> is, is to get you in. And organizationally, uh, we're going to make sure that you get your rightful spot. In well, I, I greatly gonna, appreciate we're, we're, that. We are on that, I'm telling you right now, because you deserve to have your bust in Canton. And uh, I know uh, they should put you relatively close to Curtis whenever you find your way there because you you guys right. maybe maybe a little bit in front. But there's a part of me in there already, and, and I've said that before. With Curtis going in, 10,000 of his thirteen or 14,000 yards are mine. You know, aside, you know, because I think I, I went on IR in 05, and he went on IR very soon after. So he didn't get a whole lot of yards after me. But um, so there's a special part of us that are already in there. The guys that blocked for him over the course of our careers, Jason Fabini, uh, you, know, you know, Brandon Moore, and Dave Zott, all these guys. You know, there's so many guys that are part of that. And likewise, if I get in, whether I'm next to Curtis, across the hall from him, I don't care. I'm in. That's all that matters. But – but I go in, I would go in knowing that all those same guys that helped Curtis get in are the same guys that were part of me getting in as well. Kev, what was your combine experience like when you came out of LSU? Nothing like this. This is like a circus. But uh, So the combine was here. Yeah. The, the convention center didn't exist. We're actually sitting, I guess, would be RCA Dome is where we're at right now. And, you know, the Union Station where the teams do all their interviews, that process is still the same. The meat market of going through in your underwear to weigh in and take your measurements is still the same. Um, going to get the MRIs and following the blue tape or the yellow tape or the green tape on the lot, on the floor, that's all the same. Okay. The difference is the media and what they've turned this into be. This is like the second largest NFL experience in, in a given year Okay, next to the Super Bowl, from what I understand. And we got Radio Row at Combine, which is unheard of. It's crazy. And then for this first time, the fans are going to be able to watch the bench press and the 40-yard dash and – so they've turned it into somewhat of a, a marketing, whatever you want to call it. But, I, I tell you, I, I, you know, Tony Richardson was here before. Yeah. So T. Rich and I. Went I don't. To, did he get invited to the combine? Because he wasn't a draft he, pick. 
He did not get invited to the combine. Yeah, How about that? He's so, in the draft class. So that's what we were just talking about before. There's yeah. 330 guys who get invited here. There are a number of players who can be playing in the National Football League next year. Absolutely. Who don't get invited. Who aren't invited here. And that's the thing. T. T Rich weighed 240 coming out of Auburn. Yeah. Ran a 4-4. <laughs> Played against him in, high, in college. Yeah, I know. And he didn't get an invite. Yeah. In Auburn, you know, and back then in the SEC, Alabama was coming off of a – I think a second straight national title or something like that. Auburn was a very good team. Unfortunately, LSU wasn't so good. But um, but it just goes to show kids that if you really want it and you're good enough, you're going to get found. Just because you don't get an invite to the combine, that doesn't mean you're not going to make it, have a chance to get in. But it, but there's a little there's a little genetics involved in it. There's a little good luck involved in it, and there's a whole lot of hard work involved in it. What are some so. of the measurements and? <laughs> Uh, particulars that you remember from your indie experience. How about on the bench? How much you, uh, how much uh, you put 21 on? reps. 21? Not a ton, but, you know, at the time, anything over 20 was good. And I, at 271 pounds, my official weigh-in was, I think, 271. Um, so I got 21 reps. I was happy with that. I ran a 5-1-2, which I, I just found out. That's that, that unbelievable. Was, that was faster than Tom Brady. By the way, so that, that's unbelievable. Five one two, is it? I, 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 I think it's good. I'm just saying myself. I like made it. Never, you know, I, but here's the story about the five, the, the forty. So, at the end of the forty, they had like the little string that you got to run through the string. Right. I didn't know that, and so as I ran, so you probably ran a four eight then. I ran and I pulled up with three yards to go because the, the, the string surprised me. Right. So I could I probably could have done faster. Four, four eight four seven. I maybe. gave everything in my first one. It might have, no, I don't know about four seven. Maybe a four <laughs> nine or five flat. But uh, but it didn't matter. I still got drafted in the second round. Well, yeah, it didn't, so, it didn't matter did, on the I poll. That's have, for sure. They didn't do the L drill, which is you got to kind of do this L drill. They didn't do that then, but they did the five ten five shuttle. I think I ran a four seven four. I think that's what it was. I'm not sure. Um, 29 inch vertical. I was thrilled about the 29 inch vertical. That's big. And this is why, because at college, I only had like a 27. But at LSU, we jumped the vertical in the ramp going out to the stadium. So you're actually on an incline on a spongy floor. So I got the combine, hit 29. I was pretty excited about that. The thing, the one thing that does stick out about the combine was this the guy kept calling my name Mayway. Oh. And it made me so mad. And finally, <laughs> by the time I got to the vertical jump, yeah. I, I, there was, I used an expletive. Yeah, because I said, uh, my name is Kevin's a fiery guy. My name is Bleepin' Mawai. Right. And so I don't know. And then I had I had great workouts, like O line workout stuff. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so I did some of the drills with T Rich. Ran about a five and a half, forty. A five five, really? Yeah. I think Eisen, Eisen, Rich Eisen no way. He, he can't in, run. in his work shoes. He cannot run faster than a 5'5". Five, five. No. We'll find out this week, though, won't we? Uh, yeah, and then uh, the vertical was bad. Though. It was like, what was your vertical? It was like 20. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, but, uh, White man can't jump. <laughs> not, not this one. Not this one. That, that is for sure. Um, what, do you, what do you remember about the interview process talking to you know, I, Do you remember any of the only, There's only one interview that stuck out in my mind. I remember interviewing with Seattle. That's who I ended up getting drafted with. There's a couple, and I don't remember all the teams. Pittsburgh, Kansas City Chiefs. And the, one, the Chiefs stood out in my mind more than anybody. Because I, I met one of the regional scouts and developed a relationship with him through the Senior Bowl and so forth. And so I got drafted by Seattle, but I got interviewed with the Chiefs. And the guy, I don't know who it was, but he asked me the question, if the Chiefs don't draft you, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, I mean, is that, I didn't know if that was a leading question or right. is that like you're not good enough to get drafted by anybody else, so if we don't draft you, what are you going to do? I was like, 
Well, if the Chiefs don't draft me, somebody else is. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> I mean, but that was the dumbest question I thought because it was kind of presumptuous to think that so that's, that's the only team that's going to draft me. And um, as it turns out, I found out years later that a team wanted to put me in the first round. Late first round, it would have been 26. I, well, I was 20-something overall. I don't know which one. And I got flunked on my physical at the combine. Really? And I was the last guy standing in my draft class 16 years later. So I could have been a first-rounder, but I got flunked by one of the teams. What? That happens to be a divisional rival of the Jets. And, and it rhymes with what? Hills. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just, so the Bills, I found yeah. this out. I did an internship with the Bills. One of the old-time scouts said, I had you rated as a first-rounder. We wanted to take you in the but, first but round. We had to take you off the but, board. We had to take you off the board because the doctor flunked you on your physical. And what, 16 years later? No. Nah. <laughs> suck us. <laughs> Kevin. But that, was, that was a true story. That's what they told me. Uh, thanks so much for uh, stopping by. Thanks, everybody, uh, for tuning in because we've had a great show here on Radio Row. Uh, Dane Brugler, Talking Draft. Ralph Aguiano reviewed Todd Bowles' news conference. And uh, a legendary uh, Jet uh, joins us here at Radio Row. Kevin Wyatt, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much, man. Gang Green. Go Gang Green.